Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. Here's a message from friends of the show. Order up! What's what's this? Oh, it's Fat Magic, a massive food and fantasy adventure for 5e. Can I eat this? That's right! It's packed with foodie subclasses, culinary spells, and a smorgasbord of fantastical food monstrosities. Is this food or not? Head to fatmagicrpg.com to support the Kickstarter today. Oh, okay. Thanks. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. Uh, We really think that you guys are going to be in for a treat tonight. We have been asking for the last week and change or so about questions from you all. You know, you guys have uh, have supported us for, oh, it's been seven or eight months now that we have been doing this podcast. You have been supporting us with listening, uh, with your Patreon sub- subscriptions, nothing else. We uh, we really so sincerely appreciate all the support and all the love that you guys have been showing us. This is, this is a labor of love for us. Uh, we have an absolute blast and we love kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit uh, and bringing you all in uh, to help us make these episodes. And so I am uh, just thrilled to be joined uh, by both Lee Wanika and Glenn once again. Uh, uh, as we are diving into our questions from the audience episode, let's dive in here. And we're going to start with one of the questions from uh, somebody who has been on the show, uh, somebody whose name has come up on the show in uh, in both complimentary and cursing fashion uh, numerous times. Uh, first question is from Benito, and that is, what was the best character story each of you experienced? Gentlemen, who would like to take this one first? I'll do it. I'll go for it. Glenn, go ahead. So I thought this was a great question. I love that it's the first one. Uh, And thanks, Benito, for sending it in. Uh, I play with Benito on Streams of Spiro, and you can also check him out in a side quest episode we just did. But in terms of best character story that I've ever experienced, I'm not even going to go with the character that I played because I've done a lot of storytelling. So a lot of times that means we're sitting on the other side of the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, I'm going to give you one of the best character stories I've ever helped a player develop and watched a player develop in my game, um, which is going to throw some kudos to one of my co-hosts, the shorter one. Um, and I'm going to go with his character in my Rifts game, Declan Reese. Um, mm. He was he was super, super fun to play. Now, 
in in rifts, he played a Canadian Mountie, which is almost paladin like, right? And he was really hardcore trying to play that character, and he was doing an amazing job. I mean, he was honor bound and knight in shining armor ish for a futuristic kind of campaign, but he got saddled with a group of heroes that had more than just one wing in the fire. Put it mildly. Um, and they constantly. <laughs> That's a great phrase. Constantly. <laughs> challenged his paladin-like devotion and his lawful goodness. And uh, I don't normally put a whole lot of stock in alignment or requirements to alignment, but depending on the game and rifts, if you can't maintain that alignment, you lose the class for the Mountie. You can't be a Mountie if you lose it. And it was really approaching a point where the character came to effectively a moral crisis and Lee played it very well um, and he talked to me a lot about it and we came up with some special rules for how to help him cross classes he decided he had no choice it was either his character was going to bend to the group effectively being corrupted by them or he was going to have to leave and, and roll a new tune um, and like we were, he, he worked with me on it and the storyline that came up around the reasons why he made the change and uh, we did a little custom work there, too, because uh, Palladium for Rifts didn't allow really easy multi-classing or cross-classing. But together, we came up with an amazing way for him to develop that character from someone who couldn't maintain his lawful good alignment and work with the people who he was working with. And also because they had really good reasons for doing what they did. And they were really convincing. So kudos to them, too. I mean, regularly, when Declan tried to argue with the other party about why it wasn't okay to kill the guy that was surrendering, they had great answers for him. But moral of that story is it was a whole lot of fun to watch the development. And aside from that, uh, if you ever have the fortune to have Lee Wanika in one of your games, he gives you so much gold in his backstory that I was able to literally craft his character's personal story woven into the campaign. Um, you know, right down to loved ones that he had lost that come back in with the epic dramatic moments where his long lost love dies in his arms. It was it was an epic character to watch develop and unfold before me. So kudos to you, Lee. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I will say that, Lee Wanika, the background that you wrote for Simeon in, in what was largely going to be, uh, I mean, I don't want to say a throwaway character because he's a fun character to play, but having the co-hosts on the actual play was more of a of a tool to kind of flesh out the, the the roster for the actual play to go ahead and make sure that we had a we had a good product coming out. But even for that character, the amount of background and thought that you put into Simeon was uh, was outstanding. And so I think that that's a fabulous choice uh, for Glenn to go ahead and pick him. Thank you very much, Glenn. Uh, I can't tell you how much fun Declan was to play. Like I have my riffs folder, and Declan is within five feet of me as I sit at my desk right now. All of this folder, all of the various pictures. I've got a folder on my computer with all the pictures that I've snatched and grabbed. I, I built I built a couple different figs for him at various stages, and a couple of the NPCs that went with him on um, Hero Forge as well. So, I mean, I, I loved playing that character. I loved the game world that he was in. Uh, that was actually one of the contenders for uh, best story, best character story. I've ex I've experienced as well um, because I really enjoyed that. To those listening, I will say it was a background that while it was involved, it had breaks. It was, there's this, there's that. Let me know if you want me to expand. When I was told to expand, I did so. And it was not like 30 pages of stuff. I think it might have been two, maybe three tops. But it, but it was a good collaboration. But it was a collaboration. And actually, there was a short version, which was an outline. So I had various stages of his life. 
here's a person that he knew that was big at the in his formative years, big in his teen years, big in his initial years, and big right before he left. And that was a, a big factor. We've talked about it on the show, the background of that episode, when we spoke about life paths. I actually did that with that character. So that's where that really came from. So a lot of fun. So if you didn't choose Declan Lee Wanika, who did you choose? I have had the blessing to play so many great characters that I've enjoyed in so many fantastic and wonderful stories. But I think the one that I think had probably the most immediate and rewarding experience for me was actually a character I was adjacent to. It was a, a Vampire the Masquerade character. I, I played a La Sombra and, and, and it was a semi-Dark Ages. It wasn't a Dark Ages LARP, but whatever the LARP was, there was, it was a multi-genre LARP. There was rules for Highlanders. I played uh, this Asombra who was, in effect, a Spaniard uh, or a Mexican warrior soldier who killed Jim Bowie. And he actually took Jim Bowie's Bowie knife. And that was like his one special item. It was the Wild West game, the Wild West Werewolf game. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah. You bastard. Yeah. Uh, you took Bowie's. Ugh. Now, I have to say the reason I did that is because Jim Bowie was the first true biography I ever read. He was my first hero as a child. My first real life. So you had to murder him and take his knife? No, I had to be a part of his story somehow. And I was playing a vampire who was a bad guy. So it was like he did that and he felt so remorseful. He sat there and then somebody embraced him while he was there and left him. And so he became this Lasombra vampire. That And that's where his story came from. Fast forward to where the game took place. Uh, there was a Highlander in, in that game, and the Highlander was going through the gathering, and it was played by a good friend of mine, Chris. Chris was going into this final fight, and we had, through the course of the three-session game, it was not a long game. There was three total sessions of this LARP. And at the end of the third session, I knew this was going to be his big moment. My story was really tertiary or contortionary to anything that was, that was going on. So I took my little action card which was the bowie knife and i gave it to him and i said i hope this helps you in some way and i gave it i gave chris the card now the gathering fight took place away from every other player so i wasn't even present for it chris goes into that fight and this is the way the story was told to me the fight goes on he ends up getting disarmed the enemy gloats and monologues thinking that chris is unarmed and doesn't have the ability to win the fight Chris then pulls out the Bowie knife card, kills the other player, <laughs> and takes the prize. And oh. that to me was amazing. When he came back, and I'm like, you made it. He's like, I made it thanks to you. My heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was amazing. It was a beautiful moment that I got to share. The player he was fighting with was also a friend. It was a brilliant scene. The storyteller was like, I couldn't even believe he pulled that out. Like, that was the coolest thing. There was no way to know it. It was just good RP that ended up with a huge mechanical advantage that won the day. Can't beat it. It was a fantastic story. Oh, that's absolutely that fabulous. Great. So mine is, ironically, mine is a character that I never actually played, but it was a character concept for, uh, for it was another Vampire the Masquerade game, and the game just never took off, right? Um, and the character concept that had been pitched to me, it was going to take place in Las Vegas. The name of the game was Sin City, and I was playing the Malkavian Primogen of the city. Let me just say without any sort of glib or anything, 
that I love me some Malkavian, right? Yeah, I mean, not no. They are. I played a lot of Venture, I played a lot of different things, but Malkavians were always the ones that, if I could get into that headspace, you laugh. I could totally see you as a Venture. Oh, totally. Too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I was like, yeah, like Venture was always kind of my class. That's actually how, yeah. Like one of the stars. Oh, absolutely. Ones. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. You know, like I would like go to Goodwill and buy suits to wear at LARPs as a Venture because that was the only way that I would play a Venture, right? Anyway. Malkavians are the class that I love playing, and it takes a, a lot of work to get into the headspace, I think, to play a Malkavian correctly. And it also takes a lot of work to sometimes get out of the headspace once you've been playing a Malkavian correctly for any period of time. But the background that I had written for this character uh, was uh, basically it, it started as this letter that was being written to his sire several 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 years after he had killed her right it like started with him as like a student in boarding school and all the things that happened to him then that kind of led him on a on a path that was off the norm and everything like that and it was one of those things that you know we have talked about this before about kind of like channeling the writing in, or, or channeling some ethereal energy through the pen to the paper and and kind of you know waking up from the days of having written it. it's like uh, how did i just write 100 pages of material there is no way in hell i can actually use this as the background for my character because no yeah. one ever is going to read it and think it's nearly as good as what i did i've had moments of of art creation like that before they are fleeting and they are few every single time it comes out fantastic and this background was no exception i mean it was like i have it, it's the kind of thing that like 20 years later, I still keep it like in my Dropbox and every once in a while, I'll be like, you know what? I want to go back and read that again. I want to go back and read that. And because it weaves in like his arch nemesis and again, like how he found his sire and how beautiful she he thought she was and all these things. And it's just like this, like it's basically like a book, you know, it's it's probably the most detailed and, and um, fulfilling background I think I've ever I've ever written. And I, the shame is that I just never got the chance to go ahead and play this character. So it sounds like we're we're looking for a vampire, the masquerade <laughs> storyteller, and a couple of narrators from out there somewhere. Yeah, they want to put together a game that Josh oh, can run this character man. in. Because if you put that much yeah. into it and it's that yeah. awesome, you deserve to be able I mean, to play it. It's man. Like to, to the point that I've started thinking about maybe like polishing it and trying to put it out for like like Nano Remo or something like that. Everyone, because I mean it's it's basically that like with a month of editing, this could actually be like a pretty decent book. I think so. Yeah. To be to be fair, uh, like I'll make any character you need so that we can roll into some some old school LARP and and, and rock that character. Oh, for absolutely. You. I mean, yeah. No, I'd love uh, it. I'd love it. I, I vaguely remember you. I like me a gangrel. Yeah. Yeah. You, you played a you played a, a very good gangrel. We we could turn this whole question and answer. I could do a bruja too. Yeah. We we could turn this whole question and answer into hey let's talk <laughs> let, let's start uh, yeah. Vampire of the Masquerade but. What I heard from that is, again, a situation where the background was awesome and it made that story sing. And um, wow. That's what helps bring the character yeah. to life the is background. that background. Exactly. Background, background, background. Listen more to our background episodes. Yes. Okay. Next question on the list uh, is from a friend of mine and follower of the group, Fergus. Question is, uh, let's say you had, and I love this question, by the way. 
it's it's a little bit it's gonna get a little crazy it's gonna get a little bit crazy uh let's say you have a d20 campaign where the party must unravel a puzzle or conspiracy which requires them to teleport and traverse two completely unrelated fandoms during their quest for example take conan and combine macross Ma- macross 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 conan macross. and macross yep Robotech. like like conan and macross which two fandoms do you think would be the most fun and why? Uh, so, Lee Wanika, I'm going to kick this one to you to start. So, pre-show, Glenn and I cheated a little bit <laughs> looking at the questions, and I kind of threw out... It's not cheating. We were, just, we were just talking. I wanted to lay claim to my fandoms before you tried to steal it. And I was thinking about what I would do, and then I realized I've actually done this. And so I'm going to tell you which two I did it with, then we'll go from there. So what I did is I took... Uh, a Vietnam-era drama. Think China Beach, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket. Yep. What was the name of that Vietnam-era show uh, in the 80s that was on uh, late 80s while we were in junior high school? Glenn, I can't think of the name of it, but it, it was not China Beach. It was the other one that was more action-oriented. But take that Vietnam-era show and then move that through the ages. So that went from there into an old film noir style detective uh, episode, which I did via Ninjas and Super Spies in Palladiums. All of this was in Palladium game system, by the way. And uh, then from there, I moved it future state into a James Bond born identity kind of game with, with my strike team Magnum game. And then it went future state from there, went Palladium, a combination of Rifts and Phase World as all the whole story continued to cross through time and they were transported into another dimension of the heroes that went forward. So it wasn't the same characters. In fact, I think I've only had one or two players that have ever played in any more than one of those eras. And, uh, and they went forward into a future time where they were basically in a uh, rifts like world. And uh, I had a blast with that. So I've actually done it. So I would say, any Vietnam style show, James Bond, and then kind of like a Earth Two Lost in Space. Danger Will Robinson. I like the remake of that, by the way. It's pretty the, hot. The, the Netflix remake is is a great show. I love it. So that was kind of the evolution with action uh, elements that were that that were kind of very cool. So I've done that, and that's where I would go with nice. That. Right. When we were talking ahead of the show, I I also knew. Uh, one of my endpoints, but hadn't yet figured out whether it was going to be the beginning or the end. Um, but I knew that I wanted my crossover to revolve around Johnny Mnemonic and kind of the early, the early cyberpunk kind of feel. And I can tell you exactly, awesome it's a fantastic movie. And I can tell you exactly where that desire came from. When I was in high school, uh, college rather, I was playing in a Shadowrun game. And I always kind of saw the connective tissue between Johnny Mnemonic and Shadowrun. Like that was pretty blatant on both parts that that was was a a clear relation there. But the whole conceit, and I'm not sure how well-versed you guys are in Shadowrun lore, but the whole conceit of it is that Shadowrun and Earthdawn were the same universe. And that what was happening in Shadowrun was because the horrors from Earthdawn were coming back made it very easy because they were both published by the same company and so they had similar rules and everything like that but that so that my crossover kind of i knew that that's sort of where i wanted to go and i was really like struggling i was like what's going to be the other end point and i thought you know maybe maybe game of thrones and then shadow run is or not shadow run but johnny mnemonic is like twenty thousand years in the future and then literally as we begin recording 
it hit me almost like like Simeon in a library. The book almost literally hit me because I looked over on my bookshelf and what's facing me, what's facing me is William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch. I think Ooh. Naked Lunch as a precursor to Johnny Mnemonic with sort of the surrealism and the aspects of control that are in Naked Lunch and how they can eventually go kind of like in like a almost like a Harrison Bergeron type path from uh, from Kurt Vonnegut right into this like technocratic nightmare world that you can see in Johnny Mnemonic. I think that that could be really, really interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, people of all ages, fans, friends, and casual passers-by, <laughs> you have entered the highbrow zone. <laughs> that is a little highbrow, you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you you just went deep cut on Naked Lunch. Yeah, I did. And, and Kurt Vonnegut. Now, yeah, first of totally. all, yeah, yeah. love both. Love both. <laughs> with all I got, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially Vonnegut. Like, yeah. I'm all oh, yeah. about him. Yeah, yeah. But Naked Lunch, while I have not read the book, uh, that movie, which was out there. The movie's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was out there. Like, I can't see Peter Weller without seeing The Naked Lunch anymore, ever again. Like, every time I see him, that's what I think of. I don't think Robocop. I don't think any of the other films he's been in, Bucket Room, Bonsai, or anything else, I always think of Naked Lunch. That, to me, is quintessential Peter Weller. That's why. And he's a weird egg. <laughs> He is a weird egg. So I think he's great, but he's a weird egg. All right, Glenn, what do you got? Okay, so we were talking about it earlier. I couldn't decide between three, so I'm cheating. <laughs> I think we've both gone through this. I couldn't yeah. decide. <laughs> the, the, first one, the first one that I immediately claimed was Firefly because it's one of my favorite fandoms. I am a hardcore Firefly fan. Um, and there's so much potential in the Firefly world anyway, just because with the way it's set up and the space Western vibe is awesome, but then the different states of technological advancement on the different planets throughout the system, it just creates any environment anywhere almost, you know, it's pretty cool. My game is going to be set in the, fi the Firefly universe and the way it's going to hop genres is by stopping different at planets. different planets. Yep. And I've got to go with, because I love kind of modern world. But behind the curtain, there's the darker supernatural world behind it. Shows like Supernatural, shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? And those two, actually, I'm torn on. That, that's a toss-up. I could go Supernatural or Buffy, but I'm going to go Buffy, mm. right? Because we got... I, I just can't help. I think the tone, because they're both Whedon's, matches Firefly better. But yeah, I see I see where you're going with it. That works. I'm down. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant Buffy in there. And since we got that, uh, I'm not going to go with Whedon Connection. But Nathan Fillion is the connection I'm going to between the two shows. Because I'm going to go with Buffy last season, you know, when it's really dark and gritty. And everybody thinks she and everybody else is just going to freaking die. Um, and you got Nathan Fillion as the evil preacher that pokes Xander's eye out with his thumb. You know, that, that grit type of planet going on. Now, mind you, at this point, you're bringing some supernatural into Firefly. But you could come up with some kind of a... Uh, scientific explanation behind it all or something if you really wanted to or just roll with it because uh, I, I dropped the teleporting right we're still dropping we're, we're planet hopping now but it's like a way team style whatever conspiracy mission they're they're trying to solve they have to blend they can't just show up with serenity and blow the blow the crap out of the town or something and then the the next genre i'm going to go to is i love absolutely love dystopian fiction and the different types of worlds you can create with that uh so next i'm going to have to go either straight up Mad Max or a little bit more recent, like the end of the Badlands style where 
you got people no longer having the high tech around and available. And, you know, you got that again, dark and gritty. I think that, uh, the firefly team could land nicely in both of those situations and have a good time. That's an amazing answer. Yeah. You run it. I'll play it. Absolutely. All day, every day. All right. So let's move on here. And uh, this one comes from really great friend of the show, Danilo, from the Thinking Critically uh, D&D discussion podcast. But your question was, uh, your two questions technically, was kind of a nod to when you did the same thing that we're doing tonight and you uh, you reached out to your audience and asked for questions. Uh, and I very cheekily asked you, who was your favorite guest since Lee Wanika and I had appeared on your show? Oh, so we have this, you to oh, blame yeah, yeah, for this yeah, question, yeah, yeah, Josh. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, you... Because I was looking at this question going, that's not freaking fair. I can't say who my favorite guest is. I yeah. don't actually have yeah, one. Yeah, I love yeah, them yeah. all. Which was Danilo's answer. He absolutely, uh, that's absolutely the direction that he went. But also, so, and what has been our favorite episode? Uh, so because because this is my fault, I will fall on the sword here and I will answer first. We have been blessed by by really having some great guests. You know, not only not only Danilo and guests from other podcasts like uh, like Zoo Guy from uh, from the Nerdy People Play uh, channel, um, but also Travis Leg. Three to four games came on. Honestly, I think that my favorite guest is an easy choice because he is the one that when he guested on our show for the first time he very quickly became a co-host on this show. And that was when Glenn and Mr. Dave appeared talking about Mr. Dave's game, Dragon Eggs. That was the first time that Glenn appeared. Um, and it became blatantly obvious to me at that point that Lee Wanika and I yelling at each other was not good radio and that we really needed a third voice to add. And so uh, just please just punch that after hearing that we needed that, that Glenn accepted our offer to go ahead and join the show as a permanent co-host. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with that sort of cheating answer and say the one that we have invited to stay. <laughs> that, is, that is a cheating answer. That is answer. the greatest cheat of all cheats. <laughs> yeah. I won't even call you out no. on any of the holes yeah. in the story. I'll just let it ride. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to say, hashtag rogues got a rogue. That was it. That was it. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, that was yeah. slick. The, the charlatan background is real, Ca folks. Ca it is college real. Of, college, college of Silvertone? Yes, I now, in terms of uh, favorite episode, uh, this is, a, I think, a much easier uh, question to answer in a much more straightforward way. If I think back to what my favorite episodes are, and there are several of them, of course. I think back to sort of those those early episodes that we did when we were still trying to find our identity about, about what we wanted to be as a podcast and what we wanted to do. I really think back that the first episode that we did about The Mandalorian, uh, when we, in the middle of The Mandalorian season, realized that that show was so stinking good that Lee Wanika and I, again, Glenn, this was just before you you, you joined us, um, just before, um, but like basically in the middle of The Mandalorian, Lee Wanika and I sat down to go ahead and record probably something about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and we like sat down and just started talking about The Mandalorian, and 90 minutes later, we realized we hadn't actually started talking about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything yet, and that was really what birthed the first side quest um, and really the concept for the first side quest was us just not being able to shut up about the Mandalorian um, and so I if I really think about kind of what my favorite episode is it, it's that one we're to jump in and say this I'm not going to touch our favorite guests I love all of our guests and I think every person that we've had the the the, the blessing and the uh, to be able to talk with sit down and talk with slash interview has been amazing. I've learned 
lots from all of them. And almost every one of those conversations, some part of that conversation has generated a thought that I'm about to bring into a game or that I have already brought into a game. So in that regard, I think all of them. I will say this, Danilo, if we're on your show within the next couple of months, you're going to rise to the cream of the top. <laughs> I'm just sort of, I'm just, that's tongue in cheek and throwing that out there. And this is coming from the guy who just got done listening to your style episode as he was pulling into his driveway this the evening of this yeah, recording. Such so. a good podcast. My favorite episode really comes down to the background episodes. I'm going to call them as one because that's how we actually recorded them. And the reason is we keep going back to it. I mean, they were great episodes. They were fun to record, but I think they were signature episodes. We discussed the elements of background that we use and all the characters we create that we use in the worlds we, we, we uh, develop and in the stories that we tell. And uh, we encourage our players at our tables in various ways, whether it be... Uh, collaborative storytelling or various questions at the table or uh, what are you doing it during your downtime type questions. We're constantly trying to build this background and build up this need for background and, and let it improve the games. And I think more than probably any other episode, this defines what has become the signature of the three of us collectively as storytellers. I really, at some point, want to, maybe we do that for our one-year anniversary type thing, go back and hit up backgrounds one more time with Glenn's voice so we talk about what we've learned over the year and get Glenn's voice on it because he has helped me develop, he just spoke about one of them, fantastic backgrounds collaboratively. He has created characters with absolutely brilliant backgrounds at tables I've run. I think that that's a signature episode that I really love. And the fact that nearly every other episode we say, go back and listen to our background episode. The fact that those two episodes remain in our top 10 episodes of, of all time speaks to that issue. The other episode that I think is my favorite happened because of our love of side quests, our love of these secondary uh, conversations, but quite honestly, because of our combined belief in a in an inclusive game in an expanding player base in a world that lets people be people I loved doing our women uh, in the genre episode mm. that to me was so yep. powerful if I'd picked two that definitely would have been up there with me too yep. that was one where I feel we were at our best building this community Backgrounds defined our style. That episode is part of, a part of, a major part of, or the flagship for our mission, which is build a better community uh, for the hobby, for the games, and for the world as a whole. That satisfied my desire to celebrate my mom and all the things she went through as a single mother raising me. That satisfied my love for my sisters, my daughters, my granddaughters, all my female friends and who are living life, our wives, and have to deal with a lot in this world that they shouldn't have to deal with. And I think that's where we said, you know what, it's time we stand up and be counted. The, the Marvelous Madam said at one point they thought we would be great allies. And I have probably not felt more proud to hear somebody speak about something we've done 
And I think that that comes from an episode like the, the, the women in genre that I love that episode. It's definitely an episode that I'm very proud of. And man, that episode was so much fun to research and record also. Like even aside from sort of the, the mission behind it, it was just a lot of fun revisiting characters kind of that influenced us kind of kind of in that way so much. So, all right, Glenn, how about your two? All right. So <clears throat> damn you, Josh, for setting us up for this question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's on me. Yeah. For the favorite guest, I mean, we've already covered, we obviously couldn't pick one. Um, my favorite thing about guests is that we have them, right? And not just that, that I haven't even been on all of the, the uh, crossovers that we've done um, because scheduling can be a little tight sometimes. But even with my, uh, with, with my more limited schedule in some of those, I've already had the opportunity to talk to people from all around the world, which has been amazing. Um, but th that's just so cool to me. We love you all from Mr. Dave to Chris to everyone. My favorite episode. Also, again, hard question because so many of them are a good time. There's only been a couple of them that we finished and I was like, man, and none of them were actually a grind, but I'm like, I'm just not sure that was our best work. That happens once in a blue, <laughs> blue moon. Okay. Podcasting's hard, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from those few, all of them are great. I'm going to go with two styles of episode because I cannot not say that playing Sprocket in the actual play mm, is my favorite episode I've plays. ever recorded. Okay. That was so much fun. Such a pleasure to, to, to storytell those episodes too. Like for real, like that is for one, it is daunting because we're going to get into this in a minute, but how good the players are at that game. Uh, it is daunting to try to run that game. Um, I imagine so actually, much, I can so imagine. Much fun. So much fun. <laughs> Heart palpitations up until about five minutes before we start, but then once we get going uh, and having having those quests run kind of exactly the way that I hope they will uh, is so rewarding, and you guys are so good. So yeah, Sprocket's a great character too. So and and it was so much fun to record both episode both the first and second uh, Candlekeep Mysteries that we did, uh, which were the only ones Sprocket's been in so far because as long as we have enough cast space. Uh, uh, enough patrons to fill the cast though they will always have first steps but you may get to see sprocket again um but then for standard recording i'm gonna go with one we just did and it's mostly because i really really loved the conversation with the two of you as we discussed a class that we often overlook and doesn't always get its fair share and it wound up becoming two episodes but i really really enjoyed the cleric episode we had some that awesome good. that was a lot of fun awesome connections and uh we took each other to different places in that episode that we didn't really expect to go it was it was a really good time i really enjoy our subclass rankings too we're going to be doing more of those obviously we've got more of those coming up we have more ideas coming up about subclasses in the future so uh lots of lots of fruit on that vine so totally agree with you so danilo there is the answer to your questions uh and i uh in 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 uh, in, uh, in in return for asking you the same questions on your show a couple weeks ago we have picked up the gauntlet our next question comes from uh, a friend of mine, again, from the Facebook group, uh, Jeff, who uh, asks, how do you as a DM or storyteller deal with figuring out puzzle difficulty in your game? This, so this is the first kind of question that's on the list here that we're gonna we're gonna cheat a little bit and say that we're gonna give some superficial answers to this question because this answer is an episode and will be an episode uh, in the future. We're gonna get into this in a lot more detail about how to lay out puzzle difficulty. So superficial doesn't mean poor quality. Like no, we exactly just, we, right. It would take too long. It, way too long. 
The easy answer is, for me anyway, is that as a storyteller, you need to remember that the entities that are solving the puzzle are not your players. The entities that are solving the puzzle are your characters. And as such, your characters have skills and have abilities that you as players may not have. It requires a storyteller to both be flexible in what the answer to the puzzle is and to reward a player who will say, my character is investigating or perceiving or trying to figure out from a nature article, uh, nature angle, or trying to stealth around the puzzle or whatever. It requires the, the storyteller to be flexible and accommodating to how the player thinks their character would solve it. There cannot be a puzzle in a game with one steadfast answer that only the DM knows. And the players have to figure it out, but right. the characters don't have that chance. The characters get to do things that the players don't do because the players throw fancy math rocks. And that's kind of the way that I feel about that. Again, it could be a whole other episode. But Glenn, go ahead. I agree 100%. Um, and it's all about the way that you flavor it too. Uh, because when you're designing a puzzle or, and you're trying to figure out how hard to make it, you're kind of remember, like Josh said, designing it around the characters and their skills. Now, don't get me wrong. You can use some knowledge of your players in there too, because giving a character, a, a player at your table, some geek candy that speaks right to something that's close to their heart, that's awesome too. You come up with your puzzle and you have multiple ways to solve it. Always have multiple ways to solve it, right? If it's a riddle, it could have a really cool answer. All right, it's got one answer. Well, what if nobody at the table as a player is good at riddles? If they come up with the answer out of their head, awesome. It was role played in character, say they speak, you award inspiration because that was the way you hoped somebody would get it. But if nobody gets the riddle, then you also have an intelligence check difficulty factor for the characters to try to figure it out with a scale on whether or not you give them a clue or straight up the answer if they roll something really well. Um, because you can't always count on a player's ability to think their way through a problem that you came up with because one, they're not you. And two, they're not actually the player in the situation, it's the character. So you got to play to that. You got to design the scenario so that you always have an out and a way to give them more information and a way for them to be able to find the information through skill checks and using their character's abilities. So even if the players don't come up with the answer, the characters can. I'm going to follow with a bit that I just used when we were on uh, 19 Hits the Dragon and we were talking about traps, because I think the same logic applies. Um, you have to be very careful because in the very same vein as we talk about SATs, um, people's backgrounds and familiarity and cultural biases or cultural origins can flavor what they may or may not be familiar with or know about. And depending on who's at your table and when, you're gonna have to consider that when you start talking about uh, what puzzles or what types of questions get asked and how they may be answered. If your player has never been outside of the town they've lived in, giving them a riddle or a puzzle that is dependent on knowledge of La Louvre, for example, is not fair. You're not being fair to that player. And at the table, 
a storyteller's mission should be to allow a fair chance at success governed by the math rocks. It's still a game. Exactly. It's, it's, it's still a game and everybody needs to have a chance to, to play. So like Josh said, this is a whole episode. Suffice it to say that there's a lot to this, but you got to take into consideration your players versus your characters. Right, so we'll get more into detail on that when we do the episode expect that in a couple of months here thanks jeff for a great lead-in that's going to be a fun great episode. Thank yeah you. That, that, that's that was a great idea for us to cover and we appreciate the feed and another lead-in and we're going to do kind of the same thing with a question from uh our first question of the night from one of our patreon subscribers Woo-hoo! dan asks what builds for D 5e have you seen that people say break the game and what is your opinion on that level of optimizing for example the sorcedin the coffee lock or the hexadin uh, Glenn, I see you uh, doing jazz hands over there on the Zoom. Yeah, I was um, dancing around thinking, pick me, pick me, pick me. Have at it. Hey, have at it. So I wanted to jump on this one first. So thank you. Uh, specifically because the first part of your question, I can't really answer very well, Dan, and I apologize. But I just came back to D&D with 5e. I am running uh, two games at the moment and playing in two or three. Uh, but I haven't actually run into a source of den coffee lock or a hexadent. So for the for the current builds that are out there that are optimized, I haven't experienced them to speak about them, but for the concept I can, and I wanted to jump in on the front side for that because a lot of people stress, and I used to, all right? I used to seriously stress min-max optimization. It drove me nuts. And I used to have strong opinions and get all upset. And then as a storyteller one day, I realized, I, I realized that I have a friend that's a min-maxer hardcore. Um, and I talked to him a while and I've had him in my games and I, he used to, it used to drive me crazy a little bit sometimes because of the way he needed to create the character, but in really trying to help tone down the gods that he was always trying to build, I really learned and realized that that's what he needs to have fun. His mind needs to approach the character concept as a puzzle. It's the way that his mind works. And he needs to find the best way to make the pieces fit to create the coolest badass that he can make. And that's where his fun comes from. And I suddenly realized I was being a dick (laughs) and constantly downing them in maxers. If that's what they need to have fun, if that's the requirement that they have to bring fun to the table for them, that's what the game's about. So, hey, it's not me. It's not for me. I mean, I'll make a cool concept, but even if it me- it's being made out of D4 daggers, if it's cool, I'll play it. But if you want to create somebody that deals the absolute most damage per hit, uh, rolls the most dice the most often, more power to you if that's what it takes for you to have fun. As a storyteller, what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to put you in situations that make it hard for you to to, to immediately lean to those strengths. I'm going to put you in a lot of role-playing situations, a lot of social situations, and not straight up encounters that you're optimized for but if that's what you need for fun hey bring it you're welcome at my table all that i want to add to that is that again dan thanks for the question we're going to make this an entire episode also where we're going to be talking about min max optimized builds because again totally agree with you glenn uh if that's how you wanted to find fun at at my table uh have at it uh i am more than happy to go ahead and uh bring different challenges to you uh uh, within the scope of the game to go ahead and uh, keep your experience exciting I'm going to say that I have always been somewhere halfway between uh, the extremes on this issue. I love the mental puzzle of figuring out the optimization, but for the sake of story, I'm perfectly willing to go against it. So 
there are times where I have characters who are highly optimized. And then there are times that they as optimized as they are, they are absolutely not. Sometimes it's within the same character, depending on what's happening. The current character I play in Streams of Spiro is a great example of that. He was not optimized until his most recent level achieved because of the styles I chose, the weapons I chose, and the feats I chose. Until I got this most recent feat, he's basically played six and a half levels unoptimized because of the specific weapons I chose, waiting for this moment. But I didn't build him to be optimized as much as I built him to prove how much fun could have uh, a player could have without optimizing. And then that the fact that he's now optimized doesn't mean I don't also get to role play. So I kind of did this on purpose. It was actually part of my design process for this particular character was to set out to, to do these things. Um, and it was one of my early characters in 5e, that one of the first probably eight or nine characters I built for 5e, the first character I've played for extensive levels in 5e. And uh, that's why I did it. So I sit in between. But, but great question again, Dan. And again, thank you very much Brilliant, for feeding us an episode Brilliant. topic because that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Okay, so next we uh, get to a question asked by uh, friends of the show, the Three Pillars podcast, uh, asked us this question from their Twitter feed. Do you think that they should do a revamped player's handbook a la 5.5 that remakes the original subclasses and lineages more in the Tasha's style, like scaling to proficiency bonus and such, maybe toss in some of the stuff from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, if so, what would you like to change? And if not, why not? Uh, so I'm going to hop on this one uh, because I think the answer is really, really easy. Anybody that has listened to any of the 64 or so episodes that we have done knows that on this podcast, the answer is yes. 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 Remake the player's handbook. Unequivocally, remake the player's handbook. Include the stuff in Tasha's. Include the stuff in Skag. Scale everything to proficiency bonus. Retool your subclasses. Yes, yes, yes. Do it all. Right. And fix the <laughs> you just straight up broke in the first place. <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. hire Glenn as your editor. <laughs> hire Glenn as the editor, really, yeah. yeah. Key here. They need to do this as a free rules correction PDF yeah. that you can buy oh. as a separate book if you choose to pay for it. Because we already paid for a player's handbook, Wizards of the Coast. So if you're if you ever, by some miracle, listen to this, don't make us buy it again. We already know you're working on 6E. It's going to come out in the next couple, probably two to three years. So don't make us buy the player's handbook again. Give us the PDF for free, just like you did with the core rules. Because honestly, that's what we deserve. We 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 brought you the we brought you to the heights of the greatest game uh, role playing game ever. Throw us a bone. Throw, throw, <laughs> throw the fans a bone. Yeah. But there's so much to change that that could also be its own episode and already kind I mean, of has really been. could be its own it, episode, yeah. It comes in yeah. in all of the subclass rankings because like we talk about subclasses exactly. that yeah. could be better. Um, how to fix your ranger gets talked about a whole lot because, oh, God, ranger needs help before Tasha's, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that uh, as kind of a teaser for things that are coming after we finish our subclass episodes, we're going to start talking about how to fix some of these classes. And this question kind of comes up a little bit later, so we'll get into that in a little bit. So the next question, uh, and uh, again, I'm, I'm a little bit to blame for this question. So Allie is a friend of, again? of my family, friend of my family uh, uh, who asks the 
very cheeky, um, how do you feel about money in free parking? Which of course is a Monopoly, a monopoly reference um, and something that we talked about when we had uh, Travis Legg on the show uh, a couple months ago uh, about homebrewing Monopoly rules and how, ev- how nobody plays Monopoly the way that they're supposed to. I believe I made that comment. So somebody made the comment. I don't know. Somebody smarter than me. I've never played Monopoly with anybody that played straight rules ever. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I actually have. Of course you have. It was probably you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'd like to go ahead and say that uh, we are obviously huge fans of homebrewing and making your games better by changing the rules to make them fun. Do it up. If you want uh, 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 money in free parking, uh, and that is what brings you joy. We are not going to argue with you on this podcast. So That's absolutely right. You want money and free parking? You got it. You want to decide that all dwarves are eight feet tall and green? That's okay, too. We're easy. Our next question here, uh, we get from another uh, follower on our uh, on our Facebook group. An old friend of mine, Tim, asks, uh, what are some strategies to continue the game, as it were, after you've left the table? Context, some of the games I DM seem to have more story and plot develop over our Discord and Snapchat chats. How do I as a DM use this as game time so that the table time is better utilized? I don't know. There's a question in there somewhere. And a great Uh, one. This is a great question, in fact. And again, another question that we are going to take and make an entire episode because how to incorporate game away from the table is uh, that is a tough nut to crack for D&D. It's something that happens all the time when uh, in live action role playing. And I'm not sure exactly. I haven't I haven't quite I haven't quite figured out why that is. And I think that the reason is that in live action role playing, more often than not, a a character or a, a player and a character as a single unit are really out for themselves, right? There aren't parties in LARP very much, in, at least in, in Vampire the Masquerade, like where we all come from. So there aren't like parties necessarily. Each player is playing their own game and each player is kind of playing those one-on-one with the storyteller versus Dungeons and Dragons or other kind of party-based tabletop role-playing games where the party as a unit the, the party is a unit that functions independently, but it's not like, you know, it's not like Sprocket is going to have a scene with the storyteller away from the rest of the party. He could, but it's not going to be very common, right? That's not, that's not, that's just not the game that D&D is. And so I think that that's why that's so much harder uh, in, in Dungeons and Dragons. But again, we're going to, we're going to try to uh, make a whole episode about this because that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting question. And it is a concept that, uh, that I think D&D could really use and, and could take from LARP in that way. I have actually seen this done fa- fantastically well. It was by uh, Benito. And it that's was who I was going to go with, yes. Alanis. Actually, yeah, no, that's true. And it is a hallmark. At some point, we're going to talk about styles and signature styles of DMs as well. And it is a signature style to uh, Benito's storytelling, is that he does these individual scenes. Honestly, he gets that from his LARP background. And, and that, so I know where it comes from. It does come from the LARP. But he has found a way to make that very seamless. But part of that is he is intimately involved in the background creation and the story creation for every player's character. Yeah, that's very true. He writes those back. He writes the backgrounds. Yeah, uh, because he takes the time 
to be with the player creating the character at the onset, he is intimately aware of how that character functions and where they come from, so he can have individual stories and plots. So in that regard, it works more like a team-up series. So what you're getting at the table is the team-up, and everybody has their own separate story that brings them to the group, and then at any point he can take them out and put them back in. He can take two or three and put them back in, and then he can take these four and put them back in. But it's there's a process and a way to do that. I have tried to emulate with varying degrees of success. And honestly, there's a couple things that I know that work, and I'm going to save those for the episode. I'm going to get. I, I do want to just throw out a little bit of quick actionable intel. In all fairness, um, you already answered your own question, Tim, when you were talking about uh, Discord and Snapchat chats. Any of those can work at the moment. I know Lee Wanika does, and now I do as well. I start a Facebook Messenger group or some other form of chat with all of the players in a game that's a private chat where I can put out information, et cetera. But it's also a place where you can drive plot between games. You can ask questions. Um, If there's a bunch of side quests on the board and you really need to know which direction the party's going, you can put out questions, and they can be either just general questions to the players or you can cultivate an in-character dialogue in the chats as well about aspects of the game and ask the characters hey can you guys get a discussion going uh you're all sitting around the uh the table in your your house or your manor or the inn or wherever it is that you happen to be uh over the next couple of days if everybody could get on it i'd appreciate it have some discussion about which side quest y'all want to tackle next so i can do some pre-planning and get ready for y'all so it could be in character or out of character, but you can util- utilize those chats. And to also, again, give credit to Benito. He'll bring that to your game if he's in one of those chats. Because in the uh, game I play in with Lee, where Benito is a character named Sapphire, she mm. created uh, the character Sapphire, Benito, he, Sapphire, she. Um, she created through the Facebook chat an in-game bathhouse excursion amongst all of the female party members where a lot of plot was discussed in character. And it was really cool. It went on for a little while. And us guys mostly just, us male characters mostly just got to sit on the sidelines and watch, but it was cool. He'll bring that right into your game. And if you get lucky enough to get a character like that, encourage it. Cool. All right. So next on the list here, we have another question from one of our uh, beloved Patreon subscribers, Fiona, asking, what possibilities for post-COVID gameplay have you considered now that we don't have to be online? The genie's not going back in the bottle. How will we adapt to a future in which games have new affordances? What has been lost? How can we get it back? So this is a really deep question about you know about how we're kind of emerging from uh from the uh from the pandemic and so i'm very very lucky in that the game that i run and other than the actual play the games that i play in are and have been physical games they have been in person uh because they were uh they were with players that i trusted to be with who were taking the proper precautions, including distancing and masking and stuff like that. And so I was able to go ahead and take that opportunity. I am not a fan of virtual games, which makes, you know, it, it, well, excuse me, I'm not a fan of playing in virtual games. The, the, the actual play has been really interesting because running it has been a much better experience for me than playing in one. And so in terms of sort of what are we going to do going forward, from my perspective, I want to get back to as much normal as possible. I want to get back to 
all of us sitting around a table, throwing dice, having maps, having figs, having terrain, doing all the things in person, because that's where I feel my game is best. And I'm also adapting to a more virtual uh, play style specifically for the actual play. So my preference is to be back in person and to be back the way that I remember, but I definitely learned some new skills, if nothing else. So I don't know where I sit. I don't think I'm on a spectrum as far as this goes, but I'll just kind of call it like I sees it. I, as a result or a happenstance of the pandemic, have had the opportunity to reconnect with many old friends who live very far away that I would not be gaming with right now. People, people I gamed with when I was 12 and 13, I get to game with on a regular basis. And I'll be honest with you, my nine to five keeps me at a crushing pace. My nine to five, like just to record this podcast, I work, I was up at six o'clock in the morning. I was at work by just about 10 o'clock because I commute about an hour. I got home a half hour before we recorded and we started recording at 9.30 in the evening. We'll be recording till close to, uh, at this point, midnight. Um, and what I can tell you is I would not have the ability to run two games, play in one regular game, play in one occasional game, do this podcast if it were not for virtual. This has afforded me the ability to game more than once every other week, period. That's what I was doing for the three years prior to the pandemic. Post-pandemic, my guess is I will get back to one live game. And everything else other than a scheduled convention will likely be virtual. So I don't picture much of my gaming life to be different than it is right now, save one of my games being live. And even that has its own challenges. I think the answer is we're going to better identify players who are better in one arena than another. So players in my game, the ones who enjoy and prefer live, They'll probably show up at my be in my live part of my live games. And the ones who are better adapted and better enjoy virtual, they'll probably remain in my virtual games. But as a parent, as a working guy, uh, who has all these other things but still loves his geek hobbies, virtual is not going back in the bottle. It's gonna be a part of my repertoire. There are going to be conventions I want to be a part of that I can't travel to. Virtual may afford me the ability to still be a part of that. I think that just the medium that we're recording this in as we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons on an internet broadcasted podcast kind of answers a lot of the question. Digital space is the future of the hobby. That doesn't mean there's not space for the in-person game. And I can't wait to get back at the table with some of my friends tossing dice, having my friends at the table tossing dice and, you know, just having a good time together and joking around in person. It gets a lot more rowdy. The game's a lot more, a lot harder to control, (laughs) but it's so much fun. And, you know, I'll always want that. And that's going to be possible again, post COVID. It's just a matter of how things settle down, how the individuals in your game feel in terms of, you know, their own, uh, in terms of their safety levels and concerns and, you know, what you choose to set up for distancing to make sure that everybody stays safe. But, you know, the physical space is coming back, but I think that COVID overall has been good for the hobby because it forced us to explode online. It forced old curmudgeonly guys like me, Josh, and Lee Wanika 
Although, I mean, don't get us wrong. We've got some computer skills anyway through work, but you know, we weren't <laughs> really focusing on the digital space for D and D because we played with our friends live and in person, but like Lee said, you know, uh, having Marty back in my game, meeting Fiona, these things wouldn't happen without the digital space. And I'm so excited for a role-playing community moving forward that can be that broad because that's the only way we can head all the way towards the inclusivity and the acceptance that we're looking for in the hobby anyway. If we only restricted ourselves to our local friend circles or, you know, whoever we might be able to pick up off of the game board at the local hobby shop, we're not going to get that exposure to all of these other interesting people out there that we would have the opportunity to play with without working in a digital, a digital space. So I'm really excited about what it's done for it. Next question on the list. And again, this is another, another question that uh, is much bigger than we're going to be able to handle within the space that we're going to be able to allot it. But uh, Twitter follower NerdoRex asked, what class should be added to D&D 5e, if any? And the reason why we're going to break this into its own episode is because I think universally, the three of us are of the opinion that no, there should not be new classes added to D&D. Uh, Glenn, Lou, and Nico, are we on the same page there? Oh, yeah. Solid. Okay. On initial right. thought, cool. yeah. I mean, the way yeah. that the subclasses cover all the hybrids, there's not a need for a core class to be added that I see right now. That doesn't mean it wouldn't come up situationally or story-wise, but, you know, in terms of core rules, I don't see one off the... I don't have one on my back burner that I've been working on now. My only caveat to your response, Josh, is this. While I would never close the door and put a wedge underneath it and seal the door and use some kind of sealing device a la aliens to, to make sure no xenomorphs get in, <laughs> I won't go that far because I imagine there is somewhere it, out of seven and a half billion people on the planet, someone could come up with an idea I've never thought of that could be a new class. Well, I probably could come up with a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I will allow that there's a possibility out there. Six and a half years into 5e, no one's come up with one that I think works yet. The game doesn't need one. That's, I think, more than anything else. All that to go ahead and say, that reason why we're saying that we're going to go ahead and break this into an episode is because of something that we alluded to earlier. Um, and that has more to do with, we have been talking about for quite a while, uh, a whole series of episodes that we're going to start diving into after our subclass reveal episodes, and that we're going to take several of the classes from D&D and do episodes about how to fix them. Ranger, Monk, Barbarian, I'm looking at you all in particular, and there you know, are going to be several. You know, some of them are just going to be tweaks, like I think like some things with Fighter just need to be tweaked a little bit here and there, and that more has to do with as the rules have changed, as each book has come out, the rules have gotten a little bit different. And so kind of like we talked about earlier, the player's handbook does need to be revised. It does need to be relooked at. The DM's guide does need to be revised. It needs to be relooked at. But it doesn't need more classes. It doesn't need more specificity to its detriment. What it needs is it needs a, it needs to be cleaned up and it needs, the rules need to be tightened up a little bit. And it needs cleaner subclasses. It's cleaner subclasses, right? Okay, next, and Glenn, I'm going to kick this question to you when I ask it here. So this, from the Tabletop Journeys page, uh, Kevin asks, would like to know if you'd cover on your podcast games from smaller game publishers, such as Against the Dark Master, my current favorite game. So, Glenn, why don't you say what we did in response to this question? 
Thanks so much for putting that out, Kevin, because basically what you've just done is created a crossover opportunity for us or a collaboration opportunity, I'm hoping. So when I read this, the first thing I said was, hmm, Against the Dark Master, that sounds kind of cool. Let me go check that out. And I went and read it, and it sounds pretty cool. I'm going to give you all a quick teaser just because I'm really hoping that this might turn into something for us. On their website, they describe their game as if you put together the Lord of the Rings, the Wheel of Time, sprinkled them with a little bit of Labyrinth and Dragon Slayer, put it all in a blender with a healthy dose of classic heavy metal, and you get a typical Against the Dark Master game session. And that sounds hot to me. That sounds like a lot of fun. I went to their website and I uh, went to their contact me thing and I sent them an email inquiring as to whether or not they would give us a copy of the game rules for a side quest feature and further, if they'd be interested in coming on for an interview during that. And lastly, pitched, hopefully, maybe pie in the sky, whether or not they'd be interested in running an actual play where one of their group storytells their game for Lee Wanika, Josh, and I, and maybe someone else that we bring in, depending on ideal party size, that both of us could then air. I think that would be awesome. That, that's something that we're going to be getting more into also uh, as time goes on here. Um, so the Candlekeep actual play uh, has been fantastic and will be continuing for a while. We're all sure that it's going to be continuing for a variety of different reasons, but mostly because we're just having a stinking lot of fun doing right. it, right? Yeah. Um, which was always kind of the rule, right? It's like we, we were going to do a set, we're going to do several. If it was a good time, we were going to keep on going until it stopped being a good time, right? Actual plays are here to stay. We may change from Candlekeep to something else, but they're rolling. We're, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have other games coming in. Uh, the next one is coming up back relatively soon, so I don't want to I don't want to spoil it about what it is. Um, but it's gonna be a real good time. So, speaking of Steve Pugh, the next question uh, off of the Tabletop Journeys page comes from him, and this is: Do you have a favorite character to play in Dungeons and Dragons that was inspired by some other form of media? Movie, comic, cartoon, etc. Now, Liwanika, we have only allocated about 10 minutes or like no more than 10 minutes to this particular question. So I need you to be on watch that I'm sure that there are about 15,000 characters that you've got that have been inspired by movies, cartoons, comic books, etc. Please, please, please only discuss like the top 100 that you've got on your on your list there. Because I know you've got more than that. This is an episode in and of itself. First of all, Steve Pugh, uh, uh, Dads with Nerdy Ambitions, great podcast. If you're great not, podcast. If you're not listening to it, get on it. It's awesome. Listen to our uh, upcoming or just recently aired episode. But I'm going to say this. I have so many, but my absolute favorite goes to a Vampire of the Masquerade character I played, Quentin Marcus. Quentin Marcus. I knew you were going there. Yep. And here's why. He is the wish fulfillment for me, minus a minor dark tweet. This is a character that blends nearly every bit of cool that I thought of. It's a character who is a Toreador, who wanted to be a blues musician, couldn't play, couldn't get a, a do a lick. He went down to the crossroads, waited for the devil to appear, and he was embraced and then and sold his soul to the devil, quote unquote, and it was a, a vampire. And he then has the rest of his life. That's all his backstory. That's where he came from. I basically took the most classic blues tune to create this vampire character who is a blues musician and allowed that to come forward with his story. Uh, he, by the time we get to the game I was actually playing in, 
He was a famous blues musician who has reinvented himself three times over. He owned a club. He was extraordinarily wealthy, but he started hating being a vampire and was trying to find a way out. And that's the character I built. It had that built-in tragedy, which was, hey, it was the 90s. A lot of us were feeling tragedy in one aspect or another, so I got to role-play that out in a game. He had this musical component, which music has always been a, a very good part of my life. And it blended my love of singing because in some of these side games, some of these not at the quote unquote table or not in the big LARP episode, but when we had side conversations, I actually did some karaoke singing along with things I would set up. I actually put together mixtapes that were Quentin's albums and such like that. Uh, and I, and I still have them. What I really love about it is I actually named one of the albums Toreador Sunrise. And the reason was the year I built that character, Ford Motor Company had came up with a brand new color for the for the Mustang, and it was Toreador Red. It was an official color in that year. I want to say it was I want to say it was 1996. I think that was the year it was. But at any rate, I remember that, and I actually have this vision of the album cover. And to be honest, whenever I do a modern game, D20 Modern or anything that has the modern era. Everything about Quentin Marcus's story, minus the vampire bit, is always in there. His record label, Bumpin' the Night Records, that's a facet. That's an actual in-game thing for those. The movie he was in that I did during the course of the game, that's an actual movie in the backdrop of these worlds I built. It is kind of like that cigarette brand that Trent Quentin Tarantino has in every one of his, and Robert Rodriguez have in every one of their shared universe movies. I just love it. This is a great question, but it was a really difficult one for me to answer because I've gone through a lot of evolutions in terms of how I draw inspiration from other mediums. Uh, when I was younger, like a lot of us, you know, it takes a while for the plagiarism lesson to settle in. I tended to be very direct in what I took from uh, books that I liked or shows that I liked. You know, I might straight up play the character in a D&D game. Original? Not so much, but that's kind of how I learned to start my characterization. But as it evolved at this point, I can't pick a character that's not based or inspired in some way, often by multiple characters, because I don't always just draw from the same space. I've had a couple that came out super specific, but I've never started as specific as developing a character off of a blues song. But I'll come up with a cool concept and then I'll take pieces from different spots and kind of meld them together. Uh, as an example, one of the ones that I've been working on recently that I haven't quite been able to find a game to play in yet is kind of like an urban ranger with the, got to talk somebody letting me design an urban uh, environment, by the way, that because cities are much tighter, he doesn't work with a longbow. He works with hand crossbows and rapiers. He's a dex-based dude right and at that point he started bringing a lot of things in it's I'm like his background his character background is going to be urban bounty hunter um so he's on the vigilante side of the law so i mean you could take a little bit of batman or any other kind of vigilante guy and put him into there and he's there he's there a little bit of the punisher absolutely he's going to be acrobatic he's going to be dexterous he's going to be a two-weapon fighter that alternates between two rapiers or two hand crossbows, kind of like Bodhi does. He's kind of what I would have built Bodhi to be if I started from the beginning for where Bodhi's going in your game, Lee. I was thinking about going Gloomstalker, so we had that like night, night guy going kind on. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I'm throwing in some gunslinger vibe with the hand crossbows, and I want a cocky attitude like Jesper out of uh, Shadow and Bone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and this just, is this is the concept, but it comes from a lot of different pieces. Just so. make sure you show up with your with your your, your uh, twenty pounds of of uh, alabaster coal, right? We'll make it work. Yes. If all else fails, I'll have the goat crap in a bag. We'll throw that in there. It's methane. It'll work. <laughs> exactly. So again, this is going to be its entire uh, going to be an entire episode. We could lose track on this very very quickly. However, I will say that right now I am having a lot of fun making a uh, a a evil big bad uh that is based on mumra just uh i'm just tossing that out there the easy answer to your question steve is yes Can I do we the do sound lots effect? lots 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 please please do mumra the ever living oh. exactly it's it's gonna be fat it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome i can't wait but i'm also working on a sect of warrior priests of the grave based on the priests from the movie priest excellent yes so excellent. if you haven't watched priest yet watch it it's super cool yeah i and I've got some great stuff that I'm going to save for the episode because please do, yeah. Because again, I, we could we yeah, could, we be could here go for a while. on forever. Yeah. And um, mine isn't just how many characters have I done. I've actually designed specific campaigns. Oh, entire games, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah I designed yeah. a campaign around a song and its lyrics. So and, uh, again, coincidentally, there will be uh, something coming up on the channel not that uh, not that long from now uh, of a very similar vein. No spoilers. Uh, okay, another friend of ours from the. Uh, from the Facebook group, uh, Gormley asks, uh, I've gotten the big three books for 5e, so I'm assuming she means the player's handbook, the DM's guide, and the monster manual. Uh, I'd like to homebrew my own settings. What book should I add to my 5e library next? Liwanika, what book does she add to her collection? So I've got two... Oh, one. She asked for one. She asked for no. one, but I've got two different answers because, honestly, I wouldn't be able to answer this question unless I knew the base concept for her homebrew world because Interesting. I, okay. I, I think my answer really depends on, like if she's doing a world that is based on classic culture and when I say classic I'm talking Greco-Roman I would probably recommend Theros if she's it's basic yeah. if she's basing something more steampunk or whatever I would guaranteed rep, uh, recommend Eberron Taking specific campaign settings out of the discussion, I would struggle between Tasha's, Morden Cadens, and Xanathar's. I would say it really depends on where you think your players are going to go. Because as a storyteller, I need fodder for stat blocks. I need creatures. I need information to populate my world. And I think Volos is better for that as a storyteller. If you're looking for, I need to know what stuff my players are going to want to play, then it's a toss-up between Xanathar's and Tasha's. I actually think you need both. But if you're trying to say, which one do I need in order? If I'm building my world, I say go Volos first, then get the next one. Volos, by the way, would be my third choice, even if she was going Theros or, or Eberron. So I might be going a little off the beaten path here with an unexpected answer, but I'm going to tell you Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. I love this answer. Carry because on. of all of the books that have put out so far, that book in terms of homebrew, in terms of helping you come up with ways to string plots together, uh, ways to flesh out villains, locations, you would have to do, I mean, homebrewers are already using their imagination to recreate, right? So you're obviously not building a domain of dread necessarily, but 
all of the aspects of building a domain of dread can be applied to any other world building technique that I've used. And it's also including a bunch of spins on classic D&D monsters to give you ideas on how you could homebrew your own monsters and ways you can change it, even if you don't want to go the horror element. It gives you a huge amount of information on making sure that you're building a game that your players are into, ready for, and have bought into. And it covers it covers good storytelling. Absolutely. It's, it is probably the best book I've seen 5e or honestly D&D put out for good storytelling. Glenn, you are absolutely not wrong. And I'm not going to change my answer because my answer is very mechanical is what are the building blocks you need to do X, Y, or Z. But as far as how to, Glenn is absolutely right. And, and kudos to you, sir. I love your answers, both of you. Uh, my answer is neither of those, um, which of course makes this difficult, right? So they're, uh, they're asking for one book and we're going to give them three for different reasons, right? And Lee gave two other ones on top of that, right? <clears throat> my answer Rogue's is- gonna rogue. my, my, my Exactly, right. You're going to break the rules. I get it. Yep. My answer absolutely hands down is going to be Xanathar's. And the reason why it's going to be Xanathar's is because of the extensive- chapter on dm tools on how to not just make not just do the big things right so the mm. the, the the storyteller guide in the do, in, in for the domains of dread is teaching you how do you build a world that's very important to know what xanathar's does is smaller how do you make magic items mm-hmm. how do you make custom creatures how do you make how do you make little things yep, right, yep. to go ahead and make your world alive Volos Tomophos is a fantastic book for how do you craft bad guys. But again, it does it, it I think Xanathar's just goes it's less specific and less or it's, excuse me, it's less detailed on that particular thing and more general still within the scope of as a DM, what are the skills that you need to do to take what we have already written in the big 3 and make it into its own thing. Right, um, so I think that Xanathar's does that uh, does that just a little bit better than than Volos, and in in a different way than than Van Richten's does. I love your answer. The too. one asterisk. Yeah, I am going to give myself a thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, I am going to put an asterisk on that though, and say that man, Tasha's makes a really compelling case for to be the book to take that place. I just think that Xanathar's does that part of it a little bit better. Okay. Our final question of the evening comes from uh, Jen, another one of our Patreon subscribers, and we love our Patreon subscribers. So, Jen, thank you very much for asking this question. Uh, and I think that it's it's a really, really great question. I was wondering what critical role has meant to you guys, and especially with them helping to make D&D cool again. Glenn, what are your thoughts on critical role? So probably not the best person to start with on this one, but I'm going to be <laughs> no. straight. I'm going to be straight. I actually because, don't think that any of us are the best person to start on this. And that's kind of part of the question. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're genuine, right? Right. Um, exactly. I haven't listened to a lot of Critical Role. I have never honest. listened to a single episode of Critical Role. All right. That's a more honest statement. I have never listened to a single episode of Critical Role. I've looked into them a little bit and they're kind of the, kind of like the gold standard of what all of us other fledgling content creating companies hope we might be able to one day even become close to. And there's only going to be one critical role. We get that. Um, so they're, but they are kind of the dream. That's what they represent. They represent not completely because I don't want to get like maybe necessarily that big, but they really represent as they show that it can be done. And that's super important. So have they inspired me and do they affect me? Absolutely. Even though I haven't listened to their content, shame on me, but I'm a dad, I got kids, I got work, I got this, I got my own hobbies. There's only so many podcasts I can listen to. I'm sorry, guys. No shame. Um, shame. You're right. No shame. They definitely 
did a lot for making the hobby cool again. They've brought a lot of new people into it. They've shown that you can take beyond what D and D, uh, what DMs Guild will do for you. That you can take the creative content licensing uh, that they came up with, and you can become part of D and D even if you're not working for Wizards of the Coast. Um, so they really are like the inspiration behind a lot of the folks out here doing this kind of thing. And, um, you know, thank the, I thank them very much for, for blazing the trail. And one day I hope to be able to dedicate a little bit of time to them. But I'll be honest, I also don't really want to because I don't want to pick up their any of their flavor. You know, I want us to stay our own thing. Yeah. Even though none of us are big Critical Role fans, we cannot underscore enough how much Critical Role being out there has let us do what we do. Uh, because there is now a uh, a community and a place for tabletop role-playing geeks to sit down and make a podcast and talk about the hobby that they love. And even when we get people who want to play with us because of the way that we storytell, we can now publish those as actual play episodes. I'm not sure that that happens without Critical Role. Right. Your point about how like they're the gold standard, I absolutely agree. Like Even though there's an NFL, that does not mean that there's no peewee football. We're, we are small fish in a big pond right now. They are big fish in a, in a, in a big pond. Hope one day to have one fraction of, of their success. You know, it is what they have done to bring... Dungeons and Dragons kind of back from the it was never really on the trash heap but it was definitely kind of out of it the brought social it more into the public eye again it's not it's not as much of a fringe hobby anymore what I would say is critical role by virtue of what they're excellent at has risen has lifted the tide and a rising tide lifts all boats rising tides lift all boats exactly and we yep. are one of the boats that are rising because of that tide and, and what I can tell you is, I and I've said it before, I've never watched uh, an episode of theirs, but I did, when I was learning 5e, watch all of their Handbook or Helper episodes, their mini web uh, webisodes on YouTube, to, to learn 5e. And I think as a teaching tutorial, Matt Mercer and his team were fantastic. Scripted or otherwise, it was brilliant. It helped me understand, like I've been role-playing for a very long time, but it helped me understand some of the things that go through with two to three-minute episodes on each class, two to three-minute episodes on each thing. Uh, they were brilliant, and they were very helpful as a new player who was playing one class at a time, trying to learn the game, then being asked, hey, by the way, in two months, can you storytell for a group of 12 people that have heard you're a great, uh, a great storyteller and expect a top-notch game? I had to learn very quickly how to do that. And literally a weekend watching all the Handbook or Helper is what got me the ability to start my first game on time. So what have they done for me? Jen, you play in one of the games I run. I have the ability to run it partially on the basis of having picked up tips from stuff that they have put out. They have benefited our game, and in that regard, they're there. I will say this, though. While I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of content creators, there are a few, and specifically some of the greatest and biggest names, that I choose not to listen to all the time, because what I don't want to do is to have our show become derivative. I love the fact that we're coming to you from our own experiences. I love the fact that they're the things that we do at our tables and we have experienced at our, at our past tables. 
I don't want this to ever be a situation where we're doing an episode simply because Colville did an episode on this, so we have to. Or they talked about this on Critical Role last season, so we better put this squeeze this into our game. And if there's synergy and we happen to do something they did, let it be known that, hey, what a great coincidence. We both had great ideas. Well, and in the future, things like that might become more common. But right now, we're still finding our voice and we need to keep it our voice. Later, when we've got that down solid, we could do something like that if we wanted to. Plus, uh, not for nothing, but I'll take this as a feather in our cap that we tend to scoop most people when we put out new content episodes. So there's that too. Generally. <laughs> That's just who we are. All right. Uh, so let's uh, let's kind of clean up this episode because obviously this is a long episode. We appreciate all you guys uh, uh, listening out there, taking some time to go ahead and, and uh, let us have some fun with this because we really enjoyed these questions. Uh, we have two pieces of business that we need to get through to the end of the podcast tonight. And the first one is drumroll please the winner of the drawing so everybody who submitted a question in for us to go ahead and answer tonight um you have entered to win a prize pack of random DD stuff that i keep next to me on my bookcase uh, next to my desk and when it gets filled we find a reason to go ahead and give it away to people uh okay so i have everybody's name in here and i'm gonna push the big green button and it should whir and buzz and give us a winner there we go. It's going. It's going. Ooh, this, this is, is exciting. This is great radio here. Yeah. It's pretty. It's, it's like pretty. swirly colors. And who's the winner? Dan Fields. There we go. Congratulations, Dan. Subscribers. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, so Dan, after this episode airs, uh, well, as you're listening to this, uh, I will be in touch to go ahead and uh, arrange to uh, get you your prize pack. So thank you very much, uh, Dan, for submitting a question and for listening to the show and for being one of our Patreon subscribers. We love our Patreon subscribers so much. You really help us do what it is that we do. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Uh, if you're interested in joining our Patreon, make sure you listen to the end of the episode. It'll tell you all about how to get in there to, uh, to subscribe to us there. You'll get early access to episodes. You'll get invites to our actual plays. And as we said earlier, our actual plays are going to be accelerating. So there will be more invitation opportunities. So we need more Patreons. So please go check that out. The second piece of business is that we, I think this is going to be our 65th or 66th episode uh, that we have put out, and the three of us are going to take a little summer vacation. <laughs> we are, uh, we're going to take a little siesta here, and the reason is, be, you know, obviously, a beautiful time of year for us to go ahead and spend some time with our families, uh, who have been so very patient with the three of us as we are putting together this passion project. Uh, we want to obviously. Uh, you know, give back to them a, a little bit and uh, and take some time to recharge our batteries. You know, we have a lot of really great content coming up, um, but we're, we really want to go ahead and, and hit it head on. So we have been very lucky to have uh, appeared on some friend uh, of the show podcasts, and you may not have heard those unless you subscribe to their podcast. So we, uh, with their permission, have grabbed the, uh, the sound files from those podcast channels, and we're going to be redistributing them through our channel so that if you are subscribed to us, uh, you will hear their show uh, that we appeared on. So uh, we have an episode of Thinking Critically uh, with Danilo, who asked one of our questions tonight. Uh, we have an episode of 19 Hits the Dragon uh, with Mike. That was our fabulous Traps episode, which we've alluded to multiple times. Uh, we have an episode from uh, from way back with our Australian friend Zugai when we appeared on the nerdy 
nerdy people play. Nerdy people play. There we go. Uh, down in Australia. And then uh, we're going to replay the episode uh, that Luanika appeared on with our sisters from another pod, The Marvelous Madams, when we talk uh, in depth about uh, about Loki episode two. Check those out and give those other podcast friends some love. Uh, you will start hearing uh, fresh new content from us uh, about the middle of August or so. So just a thank you to everybody out there who has uh, who has been listening to us. And uh, you know, please keep interacting. We may not be putting out new podcast episodes for a little bit, but we're going to be on Twitter. We're going to be on Facebook. We, we still want to interact with all of you guys. Uh, so we want to hear from you. So please, uh, uh, yeah, keep in touch. And we'll certainly be uh, be pushing uh, stuff on, uh, on those channels uh, while we're waiting for the podcast to come back. I want to take the opportunity to say thank you to everyone, our listeners, our Patreons, those who were kind enough to go to DMs Guild and download the our first set of products that we put out uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. We love all of you. We really appreciate the support you've given, the energy that you've uh, given us to continue to create, to continue to go out and find new topics and find ways to have great discussions. It is really appreciated. While we're away, we are going to be getting a few things together. So when we come back, we're going to come back strong. One of the first things we do when we come back is let you know what's coming up. We did it in January when we gave you an idea of what was coming up in 2021. We're just beyond the halfway point of the year, and we're going to be coming back from this uh, little from this break uh, with uh, an, uh, an idea and an update of what's coming for the second half of the year. No, absolutely. And I want just to echo to the uh, almost 300 people have downloaded our material off of DMs Guild, our, our first uh, our first foray into uh, into custom content creation with the Gothic uh, the Gothic origin characters. So thank you to all of those folks who did that. Uh, and if you haven't yet, uh, please go uh, go check it out. Uh, you know, we'll have more coming up soon. All right, uh, Glenn, any uh, any final words from you? This is a lot of fun. Um, like if you asked me the which episode did I have the most fun recording question again, this might be in this one might be a, a contender. <laughs> yep. This this um, was a good one. I yeah. really enjoyed uh, doing the questions from the audience thing. This is something we should do again. Um, I don't know if it should be six months, a year, or whatever, but we'll we'll grow more fans. I'm sure they'll have more questions. We should we should do this again. Thank you all very much for sending in your questions. And anybody that didn't get an opportunity, once you hear this and hear how fun it was. Watch for that next opportunity and make sure you get in on it. Make us do two episodes because there were just too many questions. <laughs> I mean, this one really should be two episodes probably because yeah, we'll, it's going to be well, about two yeah, hours long. It might be. We'll see how that goes out. <laughs> uh, yeah, send us your questions anyway. I mean, the worst case scenario, we can we we can uh, park, park, put them on the website, uh, put them on the Facebook group or somewhere and, just, uh, and when we get enough questions to do an episode, bam, we'll do an episode. Yeah, we'll always take questions, actually. That's a good point. Thank you uh, so very much for listening, everybody. We hope that this episode was half as much fun for you guys to listen to as it was for us to record. I, I uh, really had a good time tonight. Uh, and we will uh, we will talk to you again next time. We'll, you'll see new content from us coming up in the next couple of weeks here. So thank you very much, everybody, and have a fantastic evening. And you got us out of oh, here sure. by midnight. Let's see, just barely. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's only uh, 11 for me. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. 
can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.